growing up in the public eye is so tough, but anything that we do, like we want to do it for the glory of God, not for the praise of man, not for ourselves that who cares because in a couple of years, no one will even remember who you were. It's all going to fade. And all that matters is knowing God, loving him, making him known. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. If you've been enjoying the podcast, would you take a minute to log on to your favorite podcast platform, rate us, and leave us a review? It would be a tremendous help, and it does allow others to find us more easily. Leave us a review, and perhaps next week we will mention you on the show. Now, on to this week's episode. Today we have two very special guests, Ginger and Jeremy Vuolo. Uh, Jeremy is a former professional soccer player and uh, a former head pastor from Laredo, Texas, and he is now doing his doctorate of ministry at uh, Master Seminary with myself. And uh, he is a producer of the MacArthur Center podcast, and his wife, Ginger, is from Springdale, Arkansas, and she is from the Duggar family. If you're familiar with TLC's hit reality show, 19 Kids and Counting, I should add that, Jeremy, you are also on the show Counting On. Uh, In fact, in my notes, it says star of TLC's Counting On. Both of you have the label of star. And... uh, Ginger is the sixth of the Duggar family's children, and uh, she supports her mother-in-law's nonprofit organization with playing piano and playing violin. And um, they are two friends of mine, and I am very grateful that they've taken time out of their day to come and be on Candid Conversations with us. Thank you guys for coming. Thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to be here. Well, I wonder if we just start with your story. So you've written several books. You've written two books together. The first, we'll come around to it in a bit, but You Can Shine So Bright, a children's book that I would encourage people to check out. And also, The Hope We Hold, Finding Peace in the Promise of God. Jeremy, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Pennsylvania. You're a preacher's kid, just like I am. Uh, What was life like? Tell us how the Lord saved you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, like you said, grew up in, in Pennsylvania. My dad's a pastor. My story begins with my parents, obviously, like all of ours. And my mom was a professional violinist who was very good at what she did and kind of traveled the world playing the violin. And then she met my dad, who was in inner city Philadelphia doing ministry there. And they fell in love, got married. And one of the greatest things that my mom ever did in in loving me, my brother and my sister, was she really just poured her heart and soul into raising us. Mm -hmm. Incredible woman, uh, incredible drive, entrepreneurial, intelligent, smart, strong, just an incredible woman with incredible gifting who just sought to pour all of that into myself, my brother and my sister. Mm. And so I grew up in a very faithful Christian home, full of love, so grateful for my mom and my dad. Um, you know, I don't know the moment I was converted and really was saved and met Jesus Christ truly, but my parents would think it's when I was around five years old, really came under um, a time of conviction, mm. seeing myself as a sinner. 
and cried out to the Lord to rescue me. The reason I kind of wrestle with it is because I ran into a lot of the same issues that a that kids who grew up in Christian homes are going to face, where it's often wondering, is this truly me who loves the Lord? Right. Or is this just a lot of head knowledge? Yeah. And I'm just kind of like doing the right thing, you know? Or is this my parents' faith? Yeah, exactly. Like, if my parents weren't leading us this way, and if I had a choice of whether I wanted to go to church or whatever, would I still do it? And so I wrestled with that as a young kid into my teen years. Mm. Kind of had another awakening when I was 16, I had allowed a lot of deception and sin to kind of grow in my heart and was hiding a lot of things from my parents, living sort of a double life. And when that was exposed, man, I just remember being crushed under the weight of that, Mm -hmm. just feeling the conviction and crying out to the Lord, you know, I don't want to live like this. Mm -hmm. If I roll back a few years, I became obsessed with soccer when I was around 11 years old, made the decision that I wanted to be a professional athlete. And it really <laughs> was. I think a- every 11 year old makes that decision, right? <laughs> right. Seriously. I, but for me, it was like. You were actually going to do it, though. <laughs> it, it never shook. Like, it never shook no. off. I mean, it just obsessed me. I would play soccer two, three, four times a day. I didn't really want to do anything else. And wow. so I was pursuing that dream into college. But again, in college, first year and a half, really fell back into a lot of the patterns that I'd seen crop up in high school. I was just a a normal college kid, but doing a lot of stuff you do in college, but was not living for the Lord, like was not honoring Christ with my time, uh, partying a lot, getting into trouble, and ended up getting arrested a year and a half into school for just being out drunk one night, being foolish tried to fight a cop, kind of, so it's not a great idea, two o'clock in the morning. So I'm sitting there in the drunk tank (laughs) in this upstate New York town, and I remember thinking, I cannot live like this and call myself a Christian. So I either need to just live for myself, go wholesale into living for Jeremy, or I need to live for Jesus, but I can't live this double life. And that really was a turning point in my life. Another awakening moment. Don't I don't think that's when the Lord converted me. I think I, I was saved before. Sure. But he was very, very kindly treating me as a son yeah. and bring me low to the end of myself. And in his mercy, just really turned me around at that point. I began a Christian organization at school, Fellowship Christian Athletes, a wing of it at the school, and really just began seeking out accountability, serving in the church, and starting to see a lot of victory in areas of my life that had kind of become habitual and, and grown to really become struggles in my life. I started to see some victory where I hadn't before. I ended up fulfilling my dream to be a professional soccer player, uh, left college, uh, went over to Finland. And it was in Finland that I really started to feel this burden for ministry. Wow. And it was this, this burden to preach the gospel to pastor souls that, like my passion for soccer when I was young, began to consume my heart. Wow. And I actually began thinking over the next couple of years, like, I need to not focus on ministry. Like, I need to stop thinking about ministry. I need to focus on my career. Like, I've made it. It's derailing your career. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember thinking, you know, my whole life I was obsessed with soccer. And now I was like, couldn't wait to leave the training facility to go to the Bible study. And I couldn't wait to like pour myself into the word of God and teach and preach. And, and here I was like, starting out as a professional soccer player thinking, what am I doing? Like ministry is distracting me. Yeah. I really thought, you know, I I can't be focusing on that. I need to focus on soccer. So 
I ended up playing for four years in total professionally. And by the end of it, just had no more desire to play. Just wanted to preach the gospel, wanted to pastor, shepherd. It's amazing that God had transformed your passions. What you were once passionate about and pursuing, he came in and actually just changed them. That's exactly how I would describe it. It was like he just shifted, you know, the railroad tracks. It was like, you know, I was passionately pursuing this thing. And then he just turned the rails and I started going the other way. Um, What was interesting is I have a ton of buddies who I played with and their careers end for all sorts of reasons. Some are injuries, some they don't get picked up, so they're out of contract. And it can be really agonizing because it's your obsession, it's your passion to play. And when you can't anymore, it's kind of miserable. For me, I didn't miss it for a day. still haven't. I mean, it just was like you just said. I mean, my passion just shifted. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, I have no passion for that. And I I'm filled with passion for the gospel. That's amazing. So I, unbeknownst to me, I, the church I was attending in Texas had kind of had their eye on me to, you know, give me some ministerial responsibility. And so once I retired, they asked me to go oversee a small church on the border of Mexico in Laredo, Texas. And I began doing that, ended up staying there for about five years, called to be their pastor before coming out here to Texas. But in that time, I met my now wife, Ginger, about two years into that ministry. We'll pick up with that next. But Ginger, we want to hear about you. You know, it's you've grown up very much in the public sphere, and I'm sure a lot of people are curious what that's like. How do you walk out your faith, you know, with cameras in front of you? What is that like? Yeah. So I was also, um, like Jeremy, had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home, parents who really sought to point us to Christ and love us kids. And so I am, as you said, one of um, 19 kids. And so there were a lot of us. (laughs) And I remember just being taught about the Bible from day one, really. I mean, like we, we were just surrounded with the word of God and our parents were very good to like establish that as the highest priority in our family. And so whenever I was five years old, I remember my sister who was just a little bit older than me. She was ran into the room one night and was like, Oh, I just became a Christian. And so I was like, Oh, that's great. Like, I just remember going and talking to my mom and dad, like, Oh, I gotta, you know, I want to pray too. So they prayed with me. And for many years, I held to that as my profession of faith, even though I knew like the older I got, like, it what did not change my heart. Like it was just something I did. I didn't quite understand everything. And I started like just wrestling with that, that thought that like, what if I were to die tonight and I just am holding to this as my profession of faith, knowing I'm not right with God. I didn't love the word of God. I was, when I go to church, I kind of be like, okay, I'm here, but um, about, everything else afterwards, not caring about the word of God. And so um, there was no evidence of salvation in my life. I was a like pretty easygoing, like good child. Um, and so that was also something that was an element of pride in my life. I saw so much like self-righteousness in that way, like just, oh, well, I'm fine because people think I'm a Christian. And so It wasn't until the age of 14 where I was so convicted and I was also terrified because I realized like, I cannot live this Christian life on my own. Mm. I have no ability to walk this out. Like it's, it's hard. It's exhausting. 
and I don't love Christ. And so I went and talked to my mom. I pulled her aside. I was like, I just need to talk to you. And I told her at the age of 14, I was like, I don't think I'm a Christian. And I think at that point, like she was probably kind of surprised in a sense, but then she had also kind of been hearing my heart throughout the past few years of struggle. And so I just talked to her and was like, yeah, I just am trying to do everything by myself and I don't love Christ. And so she talked with me and I just cried out to God mm-hmm. and um, don't remember what words I said, but just in that moment, like the, Jeremy said, the shift that happened was so drastic. Like I went from not loving God, not loving his word to just like, all I want to do is read the word of God and try to understand it and try to know like, what is life all about? And even though I knew a lot, from growing up in a Christian home, the desire to love God and to know him changed, totally shifted. And then I was like, oh my goodness, like all these people around me who are lost, I want them to know about hope in Jesus Christ. And so it was really a blessing because I know a lot of people in Christian homes still have that wrestling and it's hard. Like you don't have to have a specific time where you're like, I said these exact words, right? but seeing the fruit of salvation like played out in your life. It's just so important. So I think that's something I just throw in there because like so many kids raised in that. Um, It's just confusing and what you're taught and you aren't sure. I remember someone telling me like, it doesn't matter when you've said like, oh, like I've committed my life to God today, but just are you trusting Jesus every day and relying on the spirit and all of that. So that was really helpful in that season. Um, And then years would go by and just spiritual growth in that time. Mm. And as you mentioned, um, it was an interesting season. Like you're nine years old, 10 years old, and we had camera crews enter. And it was was first just a documentary. And so we had a couple of people who would come like a couple months in a row. They would come and film our family. And so... It was very odd when that started and growing up with that was a challenge that I think I would realize the older I got, it was a beautiful thing to like be able to speak into people's lives who you wouldn't be able to reach otherwise, like just being given a platform to share the gospel, to show people um, just by God's grace that you know, they could have forgiveness in Christ as well, like was, has been something that I am so grateful for. And the challenges that come along with that right alongside it are just as um, big (laughs) and as tough as like just walking through, like standing up for your faith and having people mock it and hate it and hate you and say things publicly that are harmful, but it's like, okay, well, we are to count it joy, you know, when we suffer for the cause of Christ. And so That's been something I really appreciate my parents instilled in us throughout the years. So like growing up in the public eye is so tough, but anything that we do, like we want to do it for the glory of God, not for the praise of man, not for ourselves that who cares because in a couple of years, no one will even remember who you were. It's all going to fade and all that matters is knowing God, loving him, making him known. Oh, amen. Did you feel like your parents were did a good job of protecting you from a lot of the public sphere things, especially when you were young? Well, when I was young, I didn't have a phone. I didn't have any. They did an excellent job. <laughs> it's just a kid, just 10. And so um, <laughs> I think a lot of that is natural. We also just, 
in the setting we were in, we didn't have a TV in the home. So we didn't have a lot of. So all you saw was the cameras, but not necessarily knowing yeah. about what was happening on the on the back end in terms of the people that right. are viewing and until you were older. We just thought our friends were coming to hang out. I mean, my parents told us it was a TV show, but we're like, what's that? You know, yeah. so um, it didn't really make sense or click or register until we were a bit older. Yeah. Interesting. So let's kind of uh, blend the stories together. What's sort of the, the meeting ground of the two? Because it is funny. I Reading your bios, obviously I know the two of you, but reading it written out and I'm like, how in the world did these two actually meet and connect? Like you, you're just from – it seems like worlds yeah. apart. Obviously we're we're bound by our common faith, but it's like different parts of the country yeah. and meeting in a third part of the country. and Yeah, yeah that's a crazy story. Just you know, as you look back on the providence of God – John Flavel, the Puritan, said you have to read God's providence like you read Hebrew backwards. You know, yeah. you look back and see all of these tiny details yeah. that collided to make your reality what it is. And that's exactly what happened with us. So I was in a church in San Antonio. One of the guys in the church was a real sweet guy, but kind of um, liked to kind of keep to himself, but would minister to so many people, and that included on Facebook, he would minister to d- different guys he'd connect with, just sharing scripture verses and devotional thoughts. But he's the kind of guy on Facebook where, you, you know, there's not a lot of pictures of him. So you wouldn't even, you'd see like a cross as his profile picture kind of thing. And her sister, Jessa, married a guy, Ben, who even before they got married and before they were in a relationship, Ben had connected with this guy through Facebook somehow just because of sermons that had circulated and you know how facebook works suggest friends and so they had communicated on facebook here or there well years later ben meets jessa gets married but then their first year of marriage they come to san antonio because their family was on a vacation outside of san antonio and ben and jessa are sitting on the river walk and say hey we've got a few hours before we meet up with the family what should we do and ben goes you know i know this guy in san antonio i should just connect with him on facebook so he does. And the guy's like, yeah, there's a get together happening with my church. You should come over. And that get together was at my house. Well, that guy's, of course, not at my house. He had just told Ben about this get together, but he was like at work or something. He like sends a car from he has somebody come pick them up. He's like, meet them at the Alamo, get in this car. Like he could have been murdered. Yeah, you like know? no idea. Like I'm pretty sure this guy. is how Martin Luther met his wife. I think so. It's definitely. Sounds familiar. Yeah, it was through Facebook. It wasn't called Facebook. <laughs> So Ben, like trusting as he is, gets in this car. My buddy Glenn, who is one of my roommates, brings him over to my house. And so I meet Ben and Justice Seawald. And I had seen and heard of the show. So I recognized him. Okay. And I just start talking to Ben. And Ben's like, oh, man, let me get your number. So I was like, sure. So we start talking, keeping in touch. So that was the initial contact. Ben eventually, months later, invited me when the family was back for like a conference in Texas, invited me out to, to hang out with him and Jessa for the weekend. And that's when I met Ginger. So what's crazy is Ben never actually met that Facebook friend until after we were married. I was going to say, he still hasn't met him or something. We oh, don't know who I he know. is. Like, we're after we were married, we were at a friend's wedding. Wow. And, yeah. and I'm like, Ben, have you met Matt? And he's like, hey, like, and he's the reason crazy. we're married. Like, yeah. That's unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, it it, you, you couldn't make this stuff up, you know. So, I'm grateful for it, though. It's God, God's <laughs> providence, and hundred um, percent. Okay, so your courtship took place on television. So, 
Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I'm not necessarily looking for juicy details like all the people who review your books on Amazon. What I'm curious about is that I, I know that you guys had some uh, – there's some theological differences that came up, Jeremy, between you and, and the Duggar family. And so let's talk a little bit about that and then we could talk about maybe courtship in general and then we'll progress from there. But uh, I think that's an interesting aspect of your relationship that's unique, but I think a lot of people are facing similarities, and I think it'd be good to hear from you guys on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, whenever I first met Jeremy, I had heard a lot about him from Ben, my brother-in-law and sister, Jessa, and they really respected Jeremy, looked up to him a lot, and he and Ben have a lot in common, and so their relationship was really good, and, and that was something that I appreciated, like, of course, you could meet someone and not know anyone that knows them, but it was like helpful Matt. to like have that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's helpful to it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. It's helpful to have someone, you know, like, say, oh, this is a really awesome person. I've seen their heart and mm-hmm. really appreciate them. So that's what Ben and Jessa were for me yeah. in talking about Jeremy. So I just would kind of pick up on some things they would say in passing and just kind of listen to it and be like, oh, this it, this guy seems great. And he ended up coming on like a missions trip. And that's where I first saw so much of his heart. Yeah. His mission was to get to know me because he knew my family goes on this mission trip every year. So he signed up last in the last minute and came, which was super helpful. We got to spend a week together. And I just saw like how he has such a heart of humility, Mm. but he also has such conviction in his heart and he knows the word of God. He doesn't just know about it. Yeah. And just seeing his love for Christ, it wasn't like he was putting on a show or like having to come up with something to say. Like it was all grounded in the word of God, everything that he would say. And it wasn't just his opinions. And that was something that, I really appreciated. I appreciated how I could see he handles the word of God carefully. And so I'll let him go into a little more detail on the theological side yeah. because let, um, let me ask this one question. Yeah. So so with the this missions trip that was taking place, was the was the aim or the goal, was it kind of understood that this was a uh, something that was gonna happen, like a relationship could come out of this, or is this sort of like I mean, that's why I was there, but I had a feeling someone knew something was up. <laughs> yeah, my, sister, my sister told him like, hey, that would be a good yeah. opportunity because she knew that he was interested. Insider information. And so, good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah really so Je- nice. Jessa was the one who said you should go on this mission trip, but she had no idea. Nobody else. You know, it know. wasn't like, you know, and basically I looked at it and said, here's a great opportunity to get to know her and her family in a context where. You know, you're together for a week, yeah. you know, straight um, good environment. And yeah, yeah. It, it does reveal character in a lot of ways. And if I visit her family or visit their house and it's like, you know, you there's get so to know people over a dinner table, but yeah, there's you so can't really interact on a deep level. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was definitely strategic on my part. She didn't smart. know that, though. So the message yeah. to people who are wondering, go on a mission trip with the family. <laughs> that person's going on and you will you will see who they really are yeah it's not a bad strategy that's not a bad strategy at all i love it so, so yeah i think it was interesting though because i came from a completely different world than yeah yeah what she was in i think there's several factors is their theological upbringing 
but then also being on TV in a way can isolate um, just because you have the world looking in. So you have to be more careful and more selective with who you let in. Yes. And we write about this in the hope we hold uh, our memoir. Um, But Ginger and her sisters were getting, you know, letters from all over the world of people proposing to them. So, you know, it's not your normal situation where it's like some random dude in jail is writing you a letter with like a shirtless pic going, marry me when I get out, you know? So it was like a different situation for the girls where, you know, the guys are coming along all the time. And and so it's just a different scenario. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's the issue of, well, we need to get to know this guy on a deeper level. Mm. And then when I come from a different world, theologically, yeah. obviously, they're very conservative and in a very tight knit community. And so not only the theology, but me just coming from, you know, having gone to secular school and college and been kind of traveling and living around different parts of the world. Yeah. I think it took a longer time for them to get to know me, I guess. Um, yeah. I enjoyed getting to know the family and ultimately uh, getting to know Ginger. And as you can see, you know, it worked out. So it's the best thing. Ever. All you got to do is look at your Instagram and you can tell what the uh, object of your affection is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about that just for a minute. Wrestling out those the some of the nuanced theological things with your father-in-law, having those conversations, I think even before you started dating, and you being a a pastor's kid, I mean, were you having to go back to your dad and sort of confirm things with him and or asking him deeper questions or how how did you kind of navigate some of that difficult terrain? Yeah, I think I was at the point in my life where. If this had been when I was in my late teens, early 20s, I think there would have been a lot more of that kind of going back to my dad and saying, and then me studying on my own, where do I stand on these issues? Yeah. But the fact was, I was—I don't remember how old, maybe I was 27 and mm-hmm. I was already pastoring a church. Mm-hmm. I was teaching through books of the Bible, um, counseling members of the church through issues. Mm-hmm. And so I knew what I believed and why mm-hmm. I believed it. Yeah. I was coming from a theological s- spectrum that was kind of foreign to uh, her family. They had had interactions with people that had labeled themselves Calvinistic or Reformed Yes, um, to a certain degree, but it was largely unknown. And like anything, you can use a term and there's like a hundred different interpretations of that term. <laughs> so like somebody says, I'm conservative. You go, oh, okay. Please define. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then define your definitions. Like, so... If, if you say Reformed or Calvinistic, people have all sorts of different preconceived notions. Yes. I had plenty of conversations even with people outside of her family who wanted to tell me what I believed and would tell me what I believed and then tell me why it was so awful. And then at the end of the conversation, I'm just going, yeah, so I've never heard any of that. I don't believe any of that, but thanks for letting me know what I believe. I'm glad I could be part of that conversation. <laughs> But it shows you like the importance of having to understand like the other person's yeah. position. Yeah. And so what it did for me pastorally um, and just personally was uh, it helped me approach some difficult theological questions with a compassionate and, and hopefully a gracious and humble yeah. starting point. You know, we can easily debate and argue theology from like an ivory tower yeah. and not realize that people believe these things and that belief impacts their life. And so I just remember having conversations with her family and seeking to really, I hope graciously 
share, okay, this is what I believe and this is why I'm compelled to believe it based on the truth mm-hmm. in these texts. And then even being able to ask and say, you know, if you can interpret that text or show me your viewpoint on that. And when they would too, you don't always agree. But one of the things that's so helpful in life is being able to have a sentence in your arsenal that comes from true experience and understanding of saying, I don't necessarily agree with your conclusion, but I see why you got there. Like I understand. Mm. So for instance, a, a preacher like Adrian Rogers, who's like a stalwart of the faith, who upon whose labor and faithfulness we stand in many ways today as evangelical Christians who fought for the inerrancy of scripture Mm -hmm. and is now in heaven would disagree with me vehemently on certain points of reformed theology. And I would listen to a Adrian Rogers sermon and go, yeah, I don't agree with his conclusion, but I I do see why he gets there. Like I understand it. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully it gives like a greater sense of, compassion and Mm. understanding that, okay, you don't agree with me on every jot and tittle here, but we're on the same team. But it was a lot of that for months. I mean, in those conversations, and I think there was uh, some uncertainty because they, there was just, they, they weren't so sure where I was coming from. And yet I think for everybody who I spoke with now, I think, you know, we've, we've really come to a place of great appreciation for one another, mm. even at those points, we've had conversations in the years since. So, What a great word for today. I think where we are, we're drawing a lot of lines in the sand and we're kind of getting into our theological battle encampments and we're lobbing words out that no one's really defining. And I think what you just described is such a helpful perspective for people who are called to love their neighbor as themselves and most certainly called to love their brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really helpful word for people to consider today um, as they consider their relationships with others. But I do want to shift now. So you two have written a children's book, You Can Shine So Bright, and um, you've dedicated it to your two little ones. It's a beautiful book. The illustrations are, are wonderful. I've gone through it myself. It's walking through the fruit of the Spirit and giving examples for little ones. So tell us a little bit about the impetus that started the thought for this and kind of what led to creating this. Yeah, we had been working on some other projects and just thought, how fun would it be to have something for our girls to be able to read and to point them to Christ and just in a fun way with bright colors, because that's what you want when you're four and one and older. <laughs> we yeah. still want that. Yeah. But um, that would be awesome to be able to do this project, thinking of them and then other children who we wanted to share the hope of Christ with in a fun way in the fruit of the spirit, talking about how you can shine so bright with Christ inside of you. And so we did all of this with our girls in mind. Oh, yeah. We've got Felicity's four, Evie Joe is one and a half, a little younger when we started this project, but you know, our girls are obsessed with books mm-hmm. and we have a little bedtime routine where we love it. read a book, a little, a little kid's Bible or a storybook like this. And then we sing a song and pray before bed. And so to have the opportunity as we teamed up with Hachette and Worthy, just to produce a book where we can encourage little kids to love Jesus we can engage them on their level mm-hmm. in a way that's fun. I mean, Naomi Robinson is a phenomenal illustrator. Yeah. It's and so we had the option. We kind of went through and looked at different artists at their work and got some samples. And when we saw Naomi's, 
Ginger and I immediately just said, yep, that's it. You know, that's so fun. She's the one. She's phenomenal. She lives in London and check out her work when you get a chance because it's, you know, even outside this book, she's like able to tell a story with her art. Yeah. Yeah. We just wanted to produce something that engaged the kids that was going to speak on their level, Mm -hmm. but of really profound and beautiful truths. Yeah. And something joy, something that you want to open. Like when you see the cover, you want to open this book and discover what's inside. So that was kind of our goal yeah. with it. We hope it's accomplishing that with kids. Well, and we'll we'll put a link for the book uh, in the show notes for those who are interested in looking at that. But kind of pulling a little bit at this thread, we've talked about your upbringings and now here you are as parents. How did sort of your own experiences shape the way in which you you parent your kids and the way that you lead them in in you know even putting together a book like this in your hopes for them? How does all that sort of form and shape together? Yeah, as we both said, we're grateful to be raised in Christian homes. And so I think that's something that even aside from theological differences that we may have now, like just knowing about Christ from an early age and having that foundation um, of loving Jesus and seeking to live our lives for him is something that we want to show our kids and also just show them like, okay, mom and dad, like we sin, we will fail you at times, but there is someone who will never fail you and he will never leave you or forsake you. And so just showing them by God's grace, hopefully throughout the years, just um, the love of Christ, but being able to, by God's grace, live that out before them is the biggest thing that we want to do and just pour into them the word of God. Mm. Yeah. Kids listen to what you say. Yeah. But I think if we were to look back, you know, John, your, your dad is incredible and uh, known around the world for his preaching. But even at you, if you were to look back at your father and your mom, you'd probably, the things that stick out most to you are probably how they lived, like yeah. what they did. Yeah, that's right. Caught rather than taught, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I remember what you said, but it was how you treated me. I remember what you said and taught me, but it was, you were there for me. Mm-hmm. And they're watching constantly. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to just speak and teach Felicity and Evie Joe what it means to ask for forgiveness. We want to model that. You know, we want to want them to see humility. And really, with You Can Shine So Bright, we want them to see and understand what a life that is in love with Christ and transformed by Christ produces. Yeah. And so we just want to have a home that, like Ginger said, is joy-filled and loves Jesus. And he points them to Jesus. <laughs> points them to Christ. So that's the goal. So my my last question was, you know, that we have a lot of young families and, and young parents who who listen to this podcast. And what would your advice be to them? And I I think you've already just answered it. But if you want to summarize it, I'm happy for that as well. You, you set it forth, um, you know, what your goals and your desires are in presenting Christ to your children and having a home that's filled with love and modeling. Yeah, I mean, here we are. We've got we're we're in the middle of it, John. We're yeah. not we're not experts here. You know, we've got two littles and we're just starting out. Yeah. But regardless, I think the importance of knowing and loving Jesus for yourself, yeah, and building your relationship as a husband and wife on that yeah. is going to be the foundation of your parenting and is going to set the trajectory for the climate of the home. Yeah. So wanting to keep that ever kind of in front of us, like I've joked this little book, you know, it's so short and you could read it in three minutes, like most kids books, but I could read this for my devotions. Yeah. You know, like I I, I can go back to these, this text in Galatians five and be edified and helped and strengthened to live for Christ 
It's a devotional book that would serve people well. I think you're right. Exactly. Yeah. In fact, I'm often edified by a lot of the kids' books that I'm reading to my kids, you know, like kids' storybook right. Bibles that are showing a lot of the sort of biblical theological themes that run through Scripture. And I just think this is beautiful, and it's simple, uh, but it's clear, and it's direct, and it's it's for kids and it's for adults. Yeah, that's our hope. I mean, sometimes you, like you said, you read a kid's book and you go, why couldn't everybody just talk that simply? Like, <laughs> life would be a lot easier. And have lots of bright colors. <laughs> right, yes, exactly. That's right. We all want the same things. <laughs> well, I love it. Well, we do plan on having you all back in a few months or so. I know you're working on a future project. I'm not at liberty to discuss it, but um, we will be having you back soon uh, to talk about that. And I'm very excited about that. And um, I'm sure you are as well. And um, I do want to just say thank you, Ginger. Thank you, Jeremy Volo. Good to have you on Candid Conversations. No, we're so glad to be here, man. Appreciate you. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review It does help people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.